G'day, everyone. I'll pray before we begin. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for all we've been learning in the book of books of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, about your faithfulness to your promises uh, and about how uh, you preserved your people through such terribly difficult times. Uh, but we pray now as we take a break from that to think about our church and us, uh, that what we hear tonight might be encouraging, that we might be challenged to think about uh, the role we play as a part of your people here at this point at St George North. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as you know, because I tend to share it in my sermons, uh, I have lots of strange habits and, and strange interests and uh, things I take a fascination with. Uh, so at the moment, I'm really into reading Icelandic crime novels. Uh, I don't read them in Icelandic, they're translated into English, but uh, that's what I'm reading at the moment. But one of my other fascinations is Muhammad Ali, and I thought I'd better show you a picture because some of you probably don't know who Muhammad Ali is, but uh, just in case, Muhammad Ali was the greatest boxer the world's ever known, so it was immediately turned off about three quarters of the congregation, probably. Uh, and the thing about Muhammad Ali is he knew he was the greatest boxer the world had ever known, and he liked to tell people he was the greatest boxer the world had ever known. He didn't leave it at boxing, he just said he's the greatest human being the world had ever known. Uh, and I love watching documentaries about Muhammad Ali. I just find them fascinating. Uh, and uh, for some reason, ABC and SBS at the moment just seem to have them on constant rotation. So I just turn them on. I've watched it last week, but I don't care. I'll watch it again. Uh, and anyway, the interesting thing is, Victoria, on the other hand, doesn't find these documentaries quite as fascinating as I find them. I think that'd be fair to say. Uh, a few weeks ago, there was one on TV, uh, and I turned to Victoria and I said, uh, isn't that amazing? Did you know that about Muhammad Ali? And, and I think it would be fair to say she had moved beyond sleep at that point. So she was in some sort of coma. She was so bored by what I was interested in. And you may have exactly the same level of interest, so I apologise. But uh, one great story about Muhammad Ali was when he got invited to speak at the Harvard University commencement ceremony in 1975. And that was quite incredible because at that time, Muhammad Ali wasn't popular in America. He was actually quite hated uh, in America. And more than that, there was, this was a, an uneducated black boxer being invited to come and speak at sort of like the centre of white American prestige and, and education. So this was quite incredible that he would get asked to come and give the, the, the sort of opening address. And so he gave this wonderful speech about how he had not been given any of the opportunities that they had been given and how they had an education and because they had this education that he didn't have, they had actually a responsibility to use it well. To, to change the world, to do incredible things uh, and apparently had them all in the palm of his hand uh, and it got to the end of his speech and they actually gave him a standing ovation which was unheard of at this sort of an event uh, and then someone shouted out, give us a poem because if you know Muhammad Ali, he was famous for just, he was sort of like a rapper before rap was invented sort of thing. So he would, as he was boxing his opponents, he would sing little rhymes at them just to upset them. He, he, so his most famous one was, I, I sting like, I, I float like a butterfly, I sting like a bee, your, eyes, your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see. And he would sing that while he was punching them in the head. So, you know, he was very clever. Uh, but anyway, someone yelled out, Muhammad, give us a, give us a poem. Uh, and uh, apparently on the spot, he came up with this poem. And it's been recognised as the shortest poem in the English language. So Muhammad Ali has a record in English literature. Uh, and this is what he said. He said, I've got it on the, on the screen. He said, me, we. That was his poem. <laughs> me, 
we. And people debated what he meant. I said, how clever is that? You know, I mean, people make a life as English teachers talking about this, don't they? You know, isn't, isn't it? Talking about poems and what they mean and all that sort of stuff. And people said, what, what could Muhammad Ali mean by this? Uh, and they thought, does he mean, you know, that how he is black and we're white, but together we are humanity? Uh, is it something about uh, how together we can be stronger than we are apart? People debated all this. I don't really care what he meant, because today I'm stealing his poem uh, for the title of this talk, but I'm turning it around to this, which is we, me. That's what we're talking about today. Because once a year in November, I pause in our sermon series, like I said before, uh, and for one week I give what I call our vision talk, where I remind us, what are we on about together? What are, what are we on about as a church? And I'd like to remind us and invite us all to recommit to that or commit for the first time for some of us uh, and recommit to what God is doing in us and through our church. And so usually this talk is very much about us all together. So I spend my time talking about what we are doing and it's all about what, what we're going to do next year and all that sort of thing. But today, just this once, I want to focus on me. But by me, I don't mean me, I mean you. Uh, So what I mean is, I want to focus on what does it mean for you as an individual, the one person sitting in the chair you are sitting on tonight, what does it mean for you to be a part of this we, a part of St George North? So I want to get each one of us as individuals and and some as families, if if you're here with your family, uh, to think about what does that mean? If if I'm on board with what my church is doing, because it's your church, if I'm on board with what my church is doing, St George North, what will that mean for me and the decisions I make, especially looking forward to 2020? That's what I want to talk about. So that's what we're doing today, we, me. Well, what are we on about? Our church has a really simple vision statement uh, drawn from the Scriptures, we exist to glorify God, that's actually the most important part. We're we're not here about glorifying ourselves, we don't care what people necessarily think of St George North, Uh, or us, we exist to bring glory to God. We want people to give God the honour and the glory that He deserves. And the Bible tells us, and that's where we draw our vision statement from, we do it in three ways especially. First of all, we do it by proclaiming Jesus. Uh, That's the first part of what we do. If you think about it, if the only way to know God is through Jesus, through knowing Jesus, if the only way to find God's forgiveness is through knowing Jesus, then telling people about Jesus must be the most important thing in the world. Isn't that right? Isn't that just self-evident? That was one of those questions where I was expecting an answer. Isn't that right? Yes, amen. That's why proclaiming Jesus is front and centre of everything we do. We're unashamed about that. Evangelism is the most important thing. Actually declaring the truth about Jesus to people so that they can find salvation in Him is the most important and must be the centre of what we do. Then secondly, we grow disciples. That's what we do. God wants every one of us not just to come to know Jesus, He then wants us to grow more and more like Jesus. He wants us to grow in our knowledge of Jesus. He wants us to grow in our love for Jesus uh, so that everyone can do that. And that's why teaching the Bible is the centre of everything we do at our church. So one of the things, if you come to the Welcome Lunch next Sunday, one of the things I'll say to you there, you're getting a sneak peek now if you're coming, is we're unashamed. The Bible is taught at everything we do. Because nothing is more important than people hearing God's Word and growing as a disciple of Jesus. That's one of the reasons we make such a big thing of being a part of a gospel team, for instance. Then thirdly, we're on about serving together. Uh, We're convicted from the Bible that God gives every person gifts. That's every person. 
Every person in God's church, he gives gifts to and he says, I want you to use them to build up the body of Christ, that is, build up his church, the people gathered around you. So that's our vision as a church. That's what us together are on about, that we are on about. We glorify God, we proclaim Jesus, we grow disciples and we serve together. And of course, if you're on board with that, then that just has sort of obvious implications for, for every individual part of the church. It just has obvious implications for what you want to be doing uh, as a part of our church. But I've been thinking in recent times, if that's our vision collectively, what should our vision be for each individual person here? That is, for me or for you. When I pray for each of you, what do I pray for? And that's what I thought I'd actually share with you tonight. So what do, what do I long to see for, for each person sitting here, so much so that I pray it for you. And that's where I want to turn to that parable we read before in Matthew 13. So please open it up. Uh, sometimes Jesus' parables are hard to understand, but I think this one, he gives us, well, one, he explains it for us, that makes it easy. That's a good, good head start. But I think more than that, we naturally get this parable because we've seen what he talks about in our own lives and in other people's lives. It's just one of those parables that just so rings true to our experience. So Jesus, is what he's doing here is he's telling his disciples, as you go out and share the Word of God, that is, as you go out and, and share the Gospel with people, there will be different reactions. So he's preparing people for those different reactions. So there will be some people, look at verse 19, there are people who are like the hard path with no soil for the seed to take root. And so you share the gospel with them, but they're not interested. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have had that experience. People who you talk to about Jesus, and they're just not interested. It's like banging your head against the wall. They're just no interest at all. That's the first response. Then verse 20, some people will be like the rocky soil. They'll seem to accept the seed. They'll even burn brightly for a short period of time, but then they'll walk away. And Jesus, again, you know this is true, Jesus is saying, don't get disheartened when that happens. And we've all seen that, sadly. Some people who, who seem to get it and they throw themselves in and then after just a few months, something bad happens, some struggle happens and they walk away and say, ah, oh, Jesus was just some phase I was going through. But then verse 22, look at verse 22, some people will listen and become Christians, but the thorns and the thistles will grow around them. Now, sometimes those thorns are hard things. They're, they're the sufferings of life. They're the struggles of life. You know, it's illness. It's, it's losing a job. It's, it's, it's broken relationships. But the interesting thing that Jesus says here is sometimes it's the good things that are the thorns and the thistles and that distract people. Sometimes it's worldly wealth. As people grow in wealth, they sort of think, oh, I'll leave Jesus sort of to fade away. Sometimes it's career success, whatever it is, sometimes it's the good things, sometimes the bad things, either way, these things of the world choke these people out and they become fruitless. I've shared my uh, gardening prowess with you before. Uh, if I'm interested in, uh, if, if Icelandic crime novels and Muhammad Ali are here, uh, gardening is here on my level of interest. Uh, so a few, little, actually a couple of years ago now, Victoria pointed out that the back of our garden could best be described as our weed garden uh, and it's the, if you've been to our house the area sort of under and behind the trampoline where not even our dog goes you, you know it's, it's dangerous territory 
Uh, and so Victoria said, why don't we clear it out and we'll plant a lemon tree and we'll get lots of lemons instead of having to buy lemons. Wouldn't that be great? So I did it one afternoon. I cleared it out and I planted the lemon tree and I said, good, my job is done. Here it is now. There it is. There's a lemon tree in there somewhere amongst the weeds. Uh, it's still alive. That is a miracle. I, I've not gone near it. I've not watered it. I've not added anything to it. It is still alive. But it is safe to say we have never seen any fruit come from that lemon tree. There's never even had a flower as far as I can tell. That is the people Jesus is talking about here. That's what he's talking about. They're Christians. They know Jesus but they will stand before Jesus when he returns and they'll think, what did I do with my life? I didn't use it to bring glory to God. I got distracted. To pick up an image Jesus uses elsewhere, I, I certainly didn't store up treasure in heaven. But, Jesus says to his disciples, be encouraged because many people will be verse 23. Look at verse 23. These people will hear the gospel, they will accept it and they will believe it and they will be like this tree. This is another tree I planted a couple of years ago. That's a lie, I just lied. <laughs> I got that off the internet. There you go. I couldn't grow a tree like that if I tried. But anyway, you see the point though, they will be like this tree. There will be fruit just sort of sprouting everywhere. Uh, these people will get the gospel and so their heart will be set on glorifying God in their life and it's like Jesus is saying to his disciples, you'll be amazed by what happens. That they will be that fruit, that, that, that tree, sorry, that bears fruit like you would not believe. And by bear fruit, Jesus means bear gospel fruit. He, he doesn't mean they'll be a worldly success story. The, the interesting thing is, I, I don't think he means life will be golden for them. I don't think he means they won't have the distractions of this world. His point is, though, despite all of that, fruit will just come out of them, the fruit of glorifying God in the way they live, the, the fruit of other people hearing the gospel through them, the fruit of other Christians being encouraged by them, uh, it will just flow out of them. Now, Jesus shared this with his disciples so that they understood the different responses they would receive as they preached the gospel. It's so they wouldn't get disheartened when people rejected the message. They wouldn't get disheartened when people seemed to accept it and walk away. And so they would look forward to the people they would see bear that fruit. But it's not wrong to also hear this parable as an encouragement, I think, to be like that tree rather than like that tree. See, I don't think it's wrong to hear this, this parable as an encouragement to say, I want to be fruitful. That's what I want to be. I mean, I pray there is no one here who says, Do you know what, I want to be a quick-growing plant that then dies. I hope there is no one here who says, I want to be someone who, who, who looks back on my Christian phase in a few years and remember that couple of years where I was a part of St. George North. And it was a good time, but now I've moved on to other things. I pray there is no one who thinks, that's what I want my Christian life to look like. And I pray there's no one here who wants to be an unfruitful, distracted Christian. It looks like my lemon tree. My hope, my vision, my desire, more importantly, God's desire, is that every member of St. George North would be a verse 23. That every person here would be someone who loves Jesus and so is living a life that bears fruit for Jesus. And it, I love this. Do you notice how Jesus says, some will bear a hundred times 
Some will bear 60 times, some will bear 30 times. He's recognising God has gifted us differently. He's recognising that God gives us different opportunities. He's recognising, I think, in that, that God gives some of us really hard struggles that will limit our fruitfulness, the fruit we bear. Some of us are at different points in our life to others. At some moments of life, I can tell you, just staying godly and just staying a a committed member of church and just staying reading your Bible is just about all the fruit you can bear with the struggles that, that, that you come across in life. But surely any Christian wants to be as fruitful for Jesus as we can be in our circumstances. We want to stand there in front of Jesus on the last day, at least I do. We want to stand there in front of Jesus and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant, you used that life well. Isn't that what we want Jesus to say to us on the last day? Isn't that we want what we want for each me here? Now, I praise God for the amount of fruitfulness I get to see. Uh, and I get a, a rare opportunity because I get to see across all six of our congregations at St. George North, I, I probably alone of anyone get to see something of everything that happens right across our church, which is just wonderful. And I get to see just how many people get on with the job of quietly bearing fruit for Jesus in formal ways and in informal ways, in their family, in their workplaces and in the life of the church. And I praise God for it. The thing is, I am never satisfied because my hope is to see that in every person. Because the reality is, while no one wants to be the unfruitful Christian of verse 22, it's amazing how it just happens. It just happens to us. Especially as we get a bit older, sometimes it's the hard things in life that knock us around and we lose our zeal and and frankly we're just hanging on for dear life. But often it's just that we get comfortable and we settle into a comfortable pattern. Or we go through a period where it's a bit harder, where we go through a tough time and so we pull back. But then even when we come out the other side of that, we never reignite. We, We never say, I want to be fruitful again. We've become what I call comfortably fruitless. So how do we remain fruitful? Or for others, how do we arrest a slide into comfortable fruitlessness? Well, the first thing we need to do is actually to decide that we want to be fruitful. To actually decide, do you know what? I do love Jesus and I do want to live my life for His glory. See, that's what we've got to do. We've got to make a commitment. I, I love Jesus. I want to be fruitful. I want to grow in godliness. I want to use my life for His service. I want to serve and encourage other Christians and I hope that is everyone here because can I tell you if it's not us if we're someone who is happy being fruitless if we look at that and say verse 22 is me and I'm pretty comfortable there that really worries me because verse 22's very rapidly become verse 19's You don't stay fruitless. You see, if that is you, if you're someone who says, you know what, I'm happy like that, I just want you to go back to the gospel. I just want you to go back and rediscover what you came to know when you first became a Christian. The wonderful truth of the gospel that Jesus died for you, that you are saved by grace, through faith, not by works. I want you to go and remember, Jesus has saved me. And then remember what he has saved you for. In our gospel team over the, uh, on Wednesday night, we were looking at Titus chapter 2. Where are the gospel teams up to Titus chapter 2? 
And we're going to have to Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, and we had a great discussion about this verse. Look at what it says. It says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. If you just left it there, it's a wonderful statement of the gospel, isn't it? It's just saying Jesus has given himself, he has given his life, he has died to pay the price for your sins, to redeem you, to buy you back from lawlessness, from sin, and, and to cleanse you from sin and, and to make you his possession. But it doesn't end there. It's for a purpose, it is so that you would be someone who is eager to do good works. It's the same as in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, where, where Jesus talks about how we're saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. And then it says, in order to do the good works God has created in advance for you to do. Jesus has saved us for a purpose, and that is to live fruitfully for Him. And so I pray for most of us here, that is your desire for yourself. Even if you go through ups and downs, even if sometimes you're fired up and sometimes you, you feel a bit lukewarm, I hope in your heart of hearts, your desire for yourself is that you would be someone who is eager to be fruitful for Jesus. And that's the first step. But the thing is, that commitment will only come and, and grow and, and blossom if it is fed by the Word of God. But notice that, look at verse 23 again. Who is it that bears fruit and yields 100 times, 60 times, 30 times? Who is it? It is the one who hears and understands the Word of God. This is, this is a bit like the chicken and the egg. You, you know, you never know what comes first. But, it, but, it, but it's sort of like a spiral where, where the Christian that goes stale and unfruitful stops spending time in God's Word. And you don't know what happened first, but whatever way, it just becomes this downward spiral where, where, where we become more stale and unfruitful and we spend less time in God's Word and we become more stale and unfruitful and we spend less time in God's Word. And on the other side, the Christian who is on fire for Jesus just can't get enough of God's Word. And, and, and because they're getting more of God's Word, they get more on fire for Jesus and they become like a spiral that goes upward. That's just the way it works. So if we are going to be verse 23 Christians... We just need to be Christians who are doing certain things. We just need to be Christians who are at church every week lapping up sermons. That's just what we need to be if we're going to be fruitful Christians. We just need to be Christians who are here every week lapping up sermons. We need to be Christians who, who are in our gospel teams and there each week grappling with and wrestling with God's Word together and seeking to apply it to our lives. And we just need to be Christians who are reading the Bible for ourselves. It is the Word of God that is the fertilizer for fruitfulness. And in the same way, it's the Word of God that's the antidote against drifting into fruitlessness. Do you know, I, uh, when I pray beyond our church, when I pray for the, what God might do in this whole city in Sydney, uh, I am convinced... We often talk about, oh, it's a hard place to preach the gospel. People are hard to the gospel. And, and how can we preach the gospel better to our city? I am convinced that if every Christian in Sydney just went to church every week, and if every Christian in Sydney just listened to this, assuming it's a good sermon, listened to the sermon every week, and, and if every Christian just met once a week in something like a gospel team to read the Bible together, and if every Christian read the Bible for themselves, even just a couple of times a week, if every Christian did that, 
Instead of, sadly, like many Christians, according to studies in, in Sydney today, go to church one in two or two in four and, and go to a, a Bible study group once in a while, actually they got out of that habit long ago, and, and read the Bible once in a blue moon, I am convinced if Christians just were at church every week and in a gospel team and reading the Bible for themselves, the fruit that would flow would overwhelm this city. We would not be asking, what do we need to do to reach this city for Christ? Because the Christian lives, the fruitfulness of them would be just so apparent to our world that people would come and say, I want what they've got. Tell me about this Jesus. So I want to ask you now, this is my first call from you, if you have got out of some of those habits. So if it just so happens that it's lucky that you're here at church tonight because it happens to be the one in three. If you've got out of that habit, or if you've got out of the habit of being in a gospel team and regularly committed to it, if you've got out of the habit of reading the Bible for yourself, can I ask you to make a quiet commitment to yourself now, get back on the horse? I was going to say for next year, but why wait till then? Do, do it Monday or Wednesday for gospel team. But now I want to talk, that's my first thing, and please make that commitment if that's you I'm speaking to, but now I want to talk about three areas of church life where I want to tie that fruitfulness to what we do together. And the first is I want to focus on serving together. Uh, the fruit we bear as Christians will be in every aspect of life. So when Jesus talks about bearing fruit for God, He doesn't just mean in what you do at church. He's talking about you being a godly Christian who is pointing people to Christ in your workplace or at your uni or at your school or wherever it is you spend your time. It, it'll be in your family life. In, in the way you relate to your, your, your blood family and it'll be in the way you witness in your sports team or wherever it is, you, you know, you spend your time. But a big part of our fruitfulness, according to the Scriptures, is our service in our church. It's interesting, the New Testament is very clear that it is for the growth of, the building up of God's church that God wants us to use the gifts He has given us. And one of the great things I'm so proud of in our church is the sheer number of people who serve in what I call time-sacrificial ministries. Uh, please do not mishear me here. I love it that people read the Bible at the front of church. I, I love it that people hand out the weekly snacks at the door and they are important and great ministries. But you're here at church anyway. You, you know what I'm saying? You, you're already here. You're just adding that on to being here at church. What I love is the sheer number of people who serve in a ministry where they give up significant other time in their week because they want to either be directly involved or support people hearing the gospel or growing as Christians. So I'm talking about people who just lead gospel teams, who, who coordinate music ministry, who uh, teach scripture, who teach kids church week in and week out on a Sunday morning, who, who lead or help at Kids Plus, who serve on parish council. Uh, it's a great often thankless task, who, who lead at Snack Youth, I, I could just go on and on and on, but I don't want to do that because if I leave out a few, I can't be accused of missing your one that I've just missed. Uh, and it's wonderful how many people do that, but my hope is that as 30 times or 60 times or 100 times fruitful Christians, my sort of goal is that every person here would be serving in at least one of that sort of ministry. Every person would be serving in at least one of that sort of ministry. And you know, we are pretty close to achieving that dream at this congregation. You guys don't know this, but I boast about you all over the place. 
I boast about you, as in 6.30. Uh, because when I look through the role, we are hard-pressed to find anyone here who doesn't lead youth or, or, or teach kids church or, or serve on a creche or, or, or is involved in kids plus or lead a gospel team and then often for those of you at uni that's in addition to being involved in a uni Christian ministry and, and all sorts of things like that and many of you do two or three or four of those things and sometimes your parents complain to me that you're doing two or three more than they want you to be doing and, and so on and I tell them to take their Christian commitment seriously. No, but my dream is 100%. My dream is 100%. Now, I'm a realist. I know it's not always possible. At some stage of life, it's hard enough just being a godly Christian and getting to church and, and being a part of a, a gospel team. And some people have real struggles. But I, if I can challenge many of us here, I just want you to think, can I be more fruitful for Jesus? I don't want to guilt you. I just want to ask for who you are, and the way God has shaped you and your circumstances, can I be more fruitful for Jesus? I want to challenge another thing I come across. I was talking to someone recently and they said, oh, there's no need for me. I used to serve when our church was small, but now there's six congregations and there's uh, people who do that stuff. Please don't believe that. Uh, by God's grace, we have grown, uh, but there are so many people out there who do not know Jesus. Uh, we still have so many free chairs in every one of our services. We've still got a stack of them at the back we could put out and fill that back section. My goal for this next 12 months is that all our congregations will grow by 30 people each because then they'll be full and we'll need to send them out to Bexley and plant our next congregation there where currently we're not doing much like we've done here at Carlton and Bexley North. Already, we run a youth ministry, we run three kids' churches, we run two kids' pluses, we run two playtime groups, we run however many scripture classes, we run, I can't even count how many gospel teams, I could go on and on, and most of those ministries are bursting at the seams and need more leaders, and the thing is, God hasn't even started with what He could do through our church here. So, I just want to I say that to say to you, do not think there is no need for you and for your gifts. Whatever your gifts are, I want you to work out how you can use them to build the body of Christ. Just one example, every year we scrounge around to get enough people to lead Kids Plus here at Carlton as well as at Bexley North and every year, somehow in God's sense of humour, He brings more kids to make it, just when we think we've got enough leaders, He says, I'll give you 20 extra kids. So now there are 93 kids here on a Wednesday afternoon, and the leaders are like, how wonderful is this, but how awful is this, you know. <laughs> and just because, for a number of reasons, we're moving uh, Kids Plus to a Friday next year, from a Wednesday here at Carlton, because we just think that might free up more people who want to serve in that way, who might be able to get a Friday afternoon off instead of a Wednesday afternoon. So, that's you, let us know. Uh, last year, I threw out the challenge for people to think about taking advantage of flexible work possibilities. To, to sort of give some extra time to serving and being trained for ministry. And I have been so encouraged by the number of people who have run with that idea. Uh, people taking a half day off work to, to help at Kids Plus or teach Scripture. People making decisions about work that leave them free on a Friday morning to, to teach English, the English for life. And I'd love to see more people consider that. But that's not possible for everyone. Uh, it's not possible because you mightn't have the financial capacity to do it or you mightn't have the work flexibility. So, I want to throw out another couple of ideas. 
I mentioned Kids Plus here at Carlton on a Friday afternoon. Is that something you could do? Uh, or what about Friday mornings being involved in English for Life? Uh, this morning, uh, I tried to put a cat amongst the pigeons for our morning congregations. And people in the youth group mightn't appreciate this, uh, but I, I actually said, why can't we have youth group leaders aged 50? And you might think that's your worst nightmare, those in the youth ministry. But, but I said that. I said, why, why is it that people think youth group leaders have to come from night church? Why can't they come from the morning congregations? Hopefully after their kids have graduated out of youth group, because that would just be a bit weird. But you, you, know, what I, you know what I mean. Uh, I challenged the morning congregations. Why aren't they deciding that they'll teach kids church and then come here if their kids are no longer at kids church? Why aren't they... And I want to make the sort of same challenges to you. I want you to think creatively about how can you, how has God wired you? How can you use the gifts God has given you? And don't be stuck in your rut, but think, how could I do things differently so that I can use those gifts to build God's people here? Can I ask you now to take out your sermon outline, your feedback slip? And there's a couple of extra boxes on there. I'm going to talk about the first one now. There's all the usual boxes on... uh, that side on the left as you look at it and so if you're here with us for the first time you can look at those boxes Uh, but for everyone else if you sort of think you know what I want to think about being more fruitful if you tick that box there Troy or I or someone like us will get in contact with you just to have a chat about how you might be more fruitful for Jesus so I'd love it do you know I I did this expecting a few responses. I have now taken up my next six months after this morning at the two morning congregations here at Carlton. There's so many people who responded. They want to use their gifts because they love Jesus. And I want to ask you the same thing. Now, if you're already leading a gospel team, leading youth and leading kids, you know, it's safe to say you're already having that conversation. But for others, if you think, do you know what, I want to be more fruitful, I want to think about that, tick that box, put it in your thing tonight and Troy or I will get in contact with you just to chat about because just signing up doesn't mean you're, you'll, you need to be appropriate for the ministry and so on, uh, but we can chat at least about what would be ways for you to be more fruitful for Jesus. So, can I ask you to tick that and um, we can have that conversation. Now, I want to move on to something though that you've heard about before, uh, which we're calling life. Uh, now, I know you agree with this, I know you agree there is nothing more important than seeing people find salvation in Christ. Uh, And one of the things I love about our church, and again, especially about this congregation, is I don't need to convince you that people hearing about Jesus is the most wonderful thing you can be involved in. Do you know, sadly, in many churches, lots of people don't believe that's true. But but here, I, I don't meet people who I need to convince of that. You are convinced that there is no greater joy than seeing people move from death to life, move from being under the judgment of God to finding salvation in Christ. So another part of our vision for each me here at St George North is already fulfilled in a way, which is that you would just be praying for your non-Christian friends and family and longing for them to come to know Jesus. But one of the things I've worked out in recent years is that most Christians, even if they long for that more than anything, struggle to do it themselves and struggle to share the gospel themselves. So what we want to do is we want to give a focus to help you share the gospel with your friends and family and in particular that focus is going to be the life course, just something to aim at, to be aiming at inviting your non-Christian friends and family along to. So this year, just gone, Mike and a team of people did a bit of a pilot for a new strategy, it was called the life course and the idea is it's over four weeks 
and you can just invite anyone to come along and it's a, a, a welcoming, well-run thing with food and all the, all the niceties and all that sort of stuff, no stumbling blocks and it's just an opportunity for people to come along and hear the gospel. And then at that, they'll be invited to then, if they want to, go deeper and, and then get, get into the Bible more and really ask their questions and grapple with it in something where I wanted to call it afterlife, but uh, I got outvoted, it's, get, it's, it's more to life, which I don't think is quite as good, but you, you know, anyway. Um, but this year, praise God, running that for the first time was a bit of an experiment, we saw 25 non-Christian people come and hear the gospel, how wonderful is that? 25 people just running it the first time. Well, now we want to expand that and just make it a focus of the year. So everyone in the church is thinking, I'm aiming for these four weeks and these four weeks. And we're going to run in term one and we're going to run in term three next year. And we want everyone praying about who they could invite. So please start now praying about that. But also, that's just another serving opportunity you might want to consider. Sometimes people say to me, I'm never going to be a gospel team leader. Uh, I'm just not good at teaching. Uh, I don't like kids. People don't, you know what I mean, uh, you, you know, I, I don't want to be involved in kids ministry, I don't want to be involved in youth ministry, I, I couldn't see myself doing anything, there's nothing for me to do. Well, firstly, there's plenty of things to do in terms of supporting gospel ministry, even if you're not someone on the front line, but here, doing this life course takes a whole team of people to pull it together, people doing the logistics, people doing the catering, people doing the welcoming, people leading just discussion groups amongst uh, tables of people, that might be a way for you to consider serving. So please tick that box. You see that other box on your outline. If you're someone who says, I'd really love to be a part of that life course thing, tick that box and Mike can get in contact with you and, and talk to you about it. And Mike's hope is actually everyone in the church will be a part of it in some way next year so that you come along, see how good it is and you're then confident to bring your friends and family along the next time. That's his hope as we go into next year. One last area of fruitfulness that I want to invite each of us to think about, and it's this one, which is always difficult to talk about, which is fruitfulness in generosity. It's interesting as you read the Gospels, just how much Jesus talks about money. Have you ever noticed that? If you read the Gospels, you cannot go a chapter without Jesus talking about money or wealth or possessions and so forth. Why is that? was because Jesus knows that money shows where a person's heart is. So he says to the rich young man, well, if you really want to follow me, sell everything you have and, and give it away. He, he tells parables about, or he commends people who use their money well in this life, rather than storing it up for themselves. He points out the stupidity of storing up wealth in barns that are just going to get burned away when he comes back. Parable after parable that Jesus teaches challenges us that if we're living for him, it must impact how we use our wealth. And that all comes together in Matthew chapter 6. Look at this passage. He says, Do not collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Then verse 21 is the key. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we know that's true, don't we? We know that what you put your money in shows what you really trust in. So if you're really about this world, you invest in houses. It's as safe as houses, they say. If you're really on about eternity, you invest in eternity. 
we know that where we invest our treasure shows where our heart is. To keep our theme going, Jesus wants us to use our wealth to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 times. So again, my vision for each me here is that we would all be fruitful in generosity. How wonderful would it be if every member of our church, not just 30%, not just 40%, every member was bearing the fruit of generosity. And if you're someone who says, well, that's not me because I don't even have a job, can I tell you, it never gets easier to give generously. It's not easier when you're earning 120000 than when you're earning $25. Start when you're earning $25 at being generous because it never gets any easier. You've got to start at some point. Now, in one sense, I have a vested interest. How wonderful would it be not to have to put out calls to try and make budget every year? The wardens always tell me that. But I hope you have a slightly higher view of me than that. My longing for you is actually that every one of you would know the joy that comes from being sacrificially generous. That's actually my longing for you. I actually still remember, uh, I think I was about 22 or 23, I remember when I went from thinking my $50 a week in the plate was generous to realising that I was being stingy and I needed to give away a lot more than that. I still remember because someone challenged me. It was in my first year of full-time work and I had quite a high-paying job uh, and someone gently said to me, have you really thought about being generous now that you've got an income? And I realised putting $50 in the plate was not being generous on a good income. Uh, and I realised and I've done ever since that point, I've given away more than 10% of my income. And I still remember when I then went from seeing that as an obligation to seeing that as a joy. Uh, it was actually the most wonderful step forward for me as a Christian. It was one of the steps towards me being where I am now. And I want to say to you, I was blessed by it. Don't worry, I haven't become a prosperity preacher. Uh, God's Word actually does promise blessing for those who are financially generous. It's just not the blessing that those false prosperity teachers peddle on early morning television and in Pentecostal megachurches. There is not a promise of God giving you back for what you give. That is not a promise of Scripture. There's not a promise that if you give 10%, God will give you back 20%, like so many of those preachers promised. There is a promise, though, that you will know true contentment rather than constant dissatisfaction. There is a promise that you will know the blessing of that incomparable joy that knows that you have used your wealth for eternity, for something that matters for eternity, rather than for the wasteful pleasures of this world. And do you know, non-Christians cannot understand that. If, if you're, I, I can imagine there are people sitting in here tonight, I think here he is talking about money, the church just wants my money. Non-Christians cannot understand, I don't expect you to. And for that matter, cynical, caught in this world, often verse 22, Christians won't get that. Because Jesus says it's only when your heart is set on heaven that you'll invest your treasure there. Where you invest your treasure shows where your heart is set. It's only when you get that that you realise the greatest joy is knowing I have used my worldly wealth for God's glory. That is my prayer for you. And that will be different for different people. Different people earn different amounts. Different people are in different life situations. But my prayer for you is that you would know that joy that comes from being truly generous with what God has given you, and it's all His anyway, of course. 
So I hope you're excited about what we are doing together as a church. Uh, I hope you are on board with what we are on about as a church. But my prayer for each me here is that today you will recommit to living fruitfully for Jesus. So if that, for you, that's actually, I need to recommit to being just more committed to church and, and, and in a gospel team. I need to get back into reading my Bible. That's wonderful. I'd love it if lots of people made that commitment. It might be that you want to tick that box and think, do you know what, I really want to think about how I can use my, my gifts to build up God's people here. Talk to me about that. Or it might be that you need to recommit or commit for the first time to actually being generous with what God has given you. Uh, but my prayer is that every one of us will want to do those things because then it will be wonderful to see what God does through us together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for those who first cast the seed to us, for those who first shared the gospel with us. Uh, and we thank you that we have received it and we pray that we would not be people who are choked out by the difficulties of this life or for that matter the pleasures and successes of this life. Instead, we pray that each one of us, according to our gifts and our circumstances, would be fruitful for you. We pray for those who at this point in their life with their struggles, fruitfulness just means being a part of church and committed to reading the scriptures with others. We pray for those of us who perhaps could use our gifts in better ways, that you would help us to be creative in thinking about how we can do that. And we pray for all of us that we would know that joy that comes from being sacrificially generous with all that you've given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.